tonight. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, and we're going to be in chapter number 3 this evening. Hebrews chapter 3. And last week we went through the first two chapters. I really uh, felt like I had breezed a little faster than I had initially intended through those. But, um, uh, you know, there is so much uh, information concerning Christ we could spend a lot of time in those first few chapters. In fact, a good portion of chapter 3 speaks of the very person of God and the characteristics of God. Uh, but uh, the first two chapters especially do. Just kind of remind you here what we discussed in our last um, study together. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse, verses number 1 through 3, we looked at uh, the, what the Bible tells us about Jesus himself, God's Son. And you remember we brought the very idea of chapter 2 in verse 1, how that God tells us to give more earnest heed to the prior things. Remember that word, therefore? We said, what is, uh, what is the therefore, therefore? And we understand why God said those things. What was the reason why the, these things were given? So that we can give more earnest heed to them. Because we've not been giving the heed to them. And the first of those things in the first part of chapter 1 is concerning Jesus Christ, God's Son. And then through the remaining of the chapter, it discusses God's creation. And we're to give more earnest heed to God's creation. Remember the example that was given concerning the angels. And as God created the angels, them being uh, so um, supernatural, you might say, in some of their very being, uh, one of the greatest of God's creations. Yet God says that Jesus himself was even greater. He was better than, remember that word better was that, is that key word. He's better than the angels themselves. There is no creation, there is no thing, there is no person, there is no being that exists anywhere in this universe that is greater than God. Amen? At least we got one amen out of that. There, there is no greater thing. And, uh, you know, uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing it is to, uh, to know that we've got a Savior who's seen in creation itself. We've got a Savior who cared so much for us that he came down in the form of a man, as we've seen and I mentioned in verse 1 through 3. So we see Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We've seen God's creation, verses 4 through 14 of chapter 1. And then into chapter 2, pretty much up through the entire chapter, uh, it, uh, up until about verse 15, we see God speaking about, or this is where we left off anyway, we, God tells us about his salvation. The salvation which he's given to us, we are to give more earnest heed to. And remember, we brought out some of those things just kind of review with you, if you look at verse 3 of chapter 2, the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? It's God's salvation, which we are not to neglect. Uh, verse 6, the Bible says, but one in a certain place testified, saying, what is man that thou art mindful to him? Uh, the writer here, although it's been debated as to whether or not it is Paul, personally, uh, from the description that's given, there's so many hints, I believe it personally uh, it was Paul who wrote this passage. You can debate with me on another time for that if you'd so desire. But uh, uh, the, the very fact that the writer is trying to bring out to us is that what are we in comparison to God? That God would send his son, Jesus Christ. That God, who's greater than the angels, would care for us. That God would then give us salvation, as described in, in majority of chapter 2, and, and yet allow us to be able to spend all eternity with him what, what is man in comparison to him? And uh, remember some of the things that were pointed out last week. Verse 10, the Bible says, For it became uh, him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, 
in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And we understand that is what God is to us. He's the captain uh, of our salvation, the captain of our faith. Uh, we, maybe you've heard the hymn, We Are More Than Conquerors Through Him Who Loved Us So. We're singing of God who's the captain of our faith, the captain of our salvation. It is God who's greater than. Uh, there's nothing in comparison to God uh, that will not fall short. The Bible tells us, Romans 3, verse 23, uh, all have sinned. Uh, all creation, all nature itself is corrupted by sin. It will always fall short next to the very glory or the brightness, the greatness of God. And uh, so we're stepping into chapter 3, um, bringing you to just the, um, the tail end of, uh, of chapter 2 before we get into that one. Uh, look at verse 16, if you would. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, that is, he became a man. Verse 17, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he be a merciful and faithful high priest. That'd be good to mark in your Bible if you haven't marked that. He is a merciful and faithful high priest uh, in, in things pertaining to God and make reconciliation for the sins of the people. That word reconciliation, we understand, is doing all and absolutely everything that was necessary to make things right. Uh, we've, we studied just prior to this forgiveness and true reconciliation in a matter of a wrong relationship of, of forgiving another person. Reconciliation is doing all you can to make things right. The greatest picture for that is God himself. He became a man, merciful and faithful high priest, reconciled, verse 18, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor, succor them that are tempted. We're understanding that God himself, being 100% man, went through uh, uh, the, all that he did in his life. Uh, the Bible tells us that Satan himself uh, was, tempted God. You remember in the New Testament, we read of that. And why was that? It's not because God was capable of doing wrong. It was to help us to understand how we can overcome the temptation. And it was to help us understand that God wasn't just majority God and partially man. He was 100% God and yet still 100% man. So uh, we're understanding the, all that's being compared here. And may I remind you in the book of Hebrews, all throughout the book, we see parallel descriptions of the Old Testament as Abraham is referred to here, the position of the high priest. And we'll talk about more of that as we get further within the book. And then... Also, the references made to some of the Psalms. Uh, you may remember, uh, as we looked in chapter 1, in verse number 7, that's a reference to Psalm 104 in verse 4. And yet, there's still references in chapter 2 uh, concerning the Psalms. And we'll see that again in chapter 3 uh, so many times. This is why it's often debated, by the way, of who the writer is of the book of Hebrews, because there's so much reference to the Old Testament. To me, like I said, it, some things seem so clear. If you know your Bible, you, you study it. Uh, some, there's so many uh, phrases and references. I, I don't know for a fact, but I'm just telling you, uh, it, it, so many things that Paul refers to in his other writings are very similarly mentioned as we see in the book of Hebrews. But remember, what makes Hebrews so significant is that it, it speaks so much concerning the Old Testament. And also, in difference to any of the other epistles, there is no introduction that's given, as there often would be, in reference to the, who the writer actually is. So, all those things as we've talked about for sake of, of reference, last week, giving more earnest heed to the things of God, 
And as verse 1 of chapter 2 tells us, lest at any time they may slip. The, the purpose is that we remember God's Son. We remember God's creation. We remember God's salvation. That they would not depart from our minds. Um, if you want to keep your finger in Hebrews chapter 3, I want to bring you to John chapter 15 before we actually jump into uh, this, this chapter entirely. In John chapter 15, we see some of the very idea that the writer is trying to bring us to concerning this chapter. In John 15, a very familiar passage, some of you maybe have, have quoted, uh, if not the entire chapter, a good majority of the chapter. Remember, the, uh, the Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And um, we talk about that abiding life in Christ. Uh, that word abide is the idea of staying or living or dwelling in Christ. We would also refer to that as the spirit-filled life. Uh, God uh, is abiding in us. He's staying. He's living. He's dwelling in us. But understand the principle and the characteristics of God that are brought out within chapter 15. And we'll read down through verse 17, beginning in verse 1. Uh, verse 7. Uh, chapter 15, from verse 1 down to verse 7. Uh, the Bible says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. What's that next word? Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth how much fruit? Much fruit. For without me ye can do how much? Nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will do, and it shall be done unto you. Look back, if you now would, turn, turning to Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verse number 1, if you would. The Bible tells us, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. We see that word wherefore once again as, uh, as in reference to that being said, okay, after now just discussing all that we've, uh, we've seen in the divisions, not the inspired divisions, I remind you, <laughs> but the divisions that are laid here. He says, wherefore, knowing that we need to give more earnest heed to God's son, to God's creation, to God's salvation, he says, let's understand this. Holy brethren, that is Christians, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, the high priest uh, of our profession, Christ Jesus. Notice that phrase, partakers of the heavenly calling. Partakers of the heavenly calling. That word partaker is speaking of a partner or a companion. A partner or a companion. Uh, we have an assured position. In other words, we might use the word one ship. We have a, a, a single uh, now together relationship with Christ. As we just read in John 15, the Bible tells us, as God is the branch, so we are the vine. We are not a vine to the oak, where the vine would grow up an oak tree, or the vine might grow up a building, or the vine might grow up a, uh, a fence, but yet it's still separate from it. The Bible says we are the vine in connection to the branch. Amen? We are one together with Christ. We are 
partakers. We are uh, um, uh, companions. Uh, we are together with God. And so we understand that uh, there is a spiritual unity with God. And that's, uh, if I want to give a title for the message here this evening, we're talking together about the spiritual unity which we have with the Savior. The spiritual unity which we have with the Savior. Uh, we, when we accept Jesus Christ and we acknowledge him, acknowledge him as having died upon the cross for all mankind, we receive his free gift of salvation by faith and faith alone, and uh, we strive to live the Christian life in obedience to him. The Bible tells us the moment that we became a Christian, the moment we accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. The Bible says we are now one with Christ. Christ lives inside of us. As a Christian, you cannot, become, you cannot make yourself no longer a Christian. You cannot remove that gift. Now, you can live in disobedience to God. I mean, I say any person that's truly received the gift of everlasting life is not going to have any desire to remove it from them. Amen? Uh, the Bible tells us that when we receive God's gift of everlasting life, it's forever there. And we now uh, we receive a new name in Christ. The old man has passed away. Uh, we, we now live a transformed life in him. And so as the Holy Spirit lives within the body or the temple of the Holy Ghost, we now are one. And while, while we may not always give attention to the Holy Spirit, while we may, not, we may not always abide in Him or follow His leading, being Spirit-led in our Christian life, the Bible tells us as, uh, as Christians, we cannot um, deny nor remove the very fact that when you became a Christian, you are part of Christ. You are one with Christ. You're a partaker with Him. You're a companion with Him. He's more than just a friend. Uh, he's more than just a brother. The Bible tells us you are one with him. Amen? That's a wonderful thing. We have a unity with the Savior. And so the Bible tells us of this assured position, put it to you this way, we are now a part of the very family of God. We're now one of God's children. God and our Heavenly Father, we are his child, the Bible tells us. And as, as a father loves his child and cares for his child and, and provides for his child, so our Heavenly Father does the same for us. And we see this connection that's made here. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30 gives reference to this very same idea where the Bible tells us, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, the Bible says, now ye are the body of Christ. The members in particular, we are now one with Christ. And so what I want to give you tonight as we uh, step further within this passage uh, are some keys to a strong unity with God keys to a strong unity with God. Number one, uh, what must we do? What can we do? Number one, consider the person of God. We see now more, yet more of the character of God is being described, but yet instead, instead of the comparison being made with the angels, we now instead see the comparison being made with Moses. Now remember uh, that the people to whom he's speaking to would have been uh, God's people, the children of Israel, or the remnant of them, you might say, and uh, often held to uh, was they were abiding and living by the law before they were the whole word of God. And they were becoming argumentative between the matters of do, I, do we live by the law or do we uh, live by just partial of the law and, and the, the separation that there was between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we could go into more depth of that. But understand that the reason why God is, uh, God is showing us in this passage in this comparison with Moses is because there was a great confusion that Moses was someone even greater than God, almost. And, uh, or that the, the uh, 
choices and the things which Moses did upon this earth were so equal to that of God. Notice what the Bible tells us uh, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says in, in uh, following, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our Lord, uh, of our profession, Christ Jesus. Notice how the verse continues. There's no period there. The Bible says, Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house, as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son, over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, uh, firm unto the end. The Bible tells us, consider the very person of God. Notice what the Bible tells us concerning God's person. We see as a whole within these within this passage that the excuse me within this passage that we have just read. We see as a whole that God is faithful. God is faithful. Look at verse two. The Bible says, "Who was faithful to him?" that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Uh, the comparison is being made to that as Moses himself, in his ministry to his family, in his ministry to the Hebrew people, uh, he was faithful to them. But yet we see Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, in his ministry uh, upon this earth towards Christians. His house is also a picture of faithfulness. And it is not just faithfulness to the Hebrew people, but it's faithfulness to every believer, the Bible tells us. Why? Because we are partakers, the Bible tells us, of the heavenly calling. We are one with Christ. The Bible tells us he is faithful to his children. He is faithful to us as, as his uh, people. Uh, that word faithful is speaking of someone who can be relied upon. Aren't you thankful you can rely upon the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Amen. We can rely upon him when we go through difficulty. We can rely upon him uh, when we just simply don't understand. We can rely on him when we do understand and we need his strength. The Bible tells us he's faithful even when we don't, uh, uh, when we aren't faithful to him. The Bible says that he can be relied upon. John chapter 6, why don't you turn there with me, and keeping your finger in Hebrews chapter 3, we're understanding God is faithful and uh, he was faithful, he is faithful not just us as Christians, but he was faithful also upon this earth toward, um, uh, to, toward those uh, who were around him, but also to God the Father himself. In John chapter 6, we see just a couple references uh, where there are many in the New Testament, a couple references to what Jesus himself said concerning um, uh, his desire while on this earth. Verse 38 of John chapter 6, the Bible says, For I came down from heaven not to do what? Mine own will, but whose will? The will of him that sent me. Look at verse 40. The Bible says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son, that is, himself, and believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and will raise him up at the last day. The Bible tells us that God was faithful, catch this, he was faithful to, to the will of his Father, that is, to God the Father. Let's not be confused. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, 
they are three in one, the three persons of Christ, as we refer them to. When Jesus was sent to this earth, he was sent by God the Father. God the Father is in heaven today looking down over us. God the Son died in the cross for us upon this earth. And God the Holy Spirit lives within, within us when we receive him into our life. And the Bible tells us that God, Jesus, when he was on this earth, was faithful to God the Father. He was faithful to do the will of the Father. His desire was to do the will of the Father, the will of God that sent him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Verse, chapter 6, verse 40 tells us what was the will of God behind that. God's will in his sending his son was not so Jesus Christ could go do, an all, do all these miracles upon the earth and everyone could give him hugs and everyone could applaud him and, and they could uh, lay down uh, leaves from the trees as he rode that donkey down and parade him and, and, and make a big hubbub about him. That wasn't the reason behind it. God sent his son so that others could come to know about him. Amen? And Jesus said himself, he says, my purpose on this earth is to be faithful to God the Father. May I say, God is not only faithful to his Father, he's not only faithful to us, but we should learn from that and that we need to be faithful to our Heavenly Father. Amen? We must be faithful to our Heavenly Father. May our testimony, may our uh, uh, reputation be yet the same as Jesus himself, that we would be faithful to God, that we would be faithful to others. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but I came to minister. It's not about my will. It's not about what I want. It's about others. It's about God. It's that others would come to know about Christ. All throughout the New Testament, even through the book of Acts, why was uh, the, the gifts of, of prophecy and of speaking in tongues and, and of miracles, what was the purpose behind all those things? Not so that the men could be applauded and patted on the back for the great things that they did. It's so that others could come to know about Christ. Amen? The Bible tells us that as Christians, what we can learn from this, as God is faithful to us, so we should be faithful to him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, the Bible says, Faithful is he that calleth you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, the Bible says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. So we understand God's faithfulness in continuing of chapter 3. If you want to flip back there in verse number 3, chapter 3 and verse 3 of Hebrews, the Bible tells us not only of his faithfulness, but of his worthiness. The Bible says, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but notice, he that built all things is God. The Bible tells us that God is worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? Because of what the end of verse 4 tells us. Because he didn't just build, he wasn't just faithful to one house. The Bible says, he was before all things, that he created all things, that he is behind all things, and we see that he is worthy. Why is God worthy? Because he is and he has built all things. By him all things consist. John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. All things are because of Christ, and so God is worthy of all glory. That's why we once again understand Romans 3 verse 23 the Bible says, here's God's glory. No matter how hard we try to be a good person, we're always going to fall short. We'll never come up equal to God. The Bible says, neither will anything else upon this earth, including Moses himself. The Bible says, all come short of God's glory. God is worthy 
of all the glory. God is worthy of all the praise. God is worthy of all the attention because he, that, he is the one that has built all things, the Bible tells us. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, in verse number 4, I'll read this verse to you. The Bible says, I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, as, the, uh, as we get a description of the end times itself, in chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. God did not create all that exists in the world today so that He could be praised, so that He could receive all the attention. God created simply and only for His glory. May I remind you, that, was the, that is the purpose in our creation. That is the purpose in us being left upon this earth. We have not been left on this earth to just fill in a few. We've not been left on this earth to just uh, serve in a, in a couple ministries, to just attend a few church services. We've not been left on this earth to just uh, win to Christ our own family. The Bible tells us why we've been left to let others know that God is worthy of all praise. Amen? To let others know that Christ has created all things, not so that they could just simply exist. God did not create them imperfect. It's sin that caused it to become perfect. It was a perfect world until man chose to sin. And because of our imperfection, God tells us that he is worthy of all things. We can clearly see that sin has corrupted, that we are all guilty of sin, that we all need a Savior, we all need Christ. And so the Bible tells us he is worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? Because he is the one that has built all things. Do we consider how that God is worthy? Do we consider uh, the, how that he deserves all the glory in our life? And I say it's, it's very true that your view of God affects your worship of God. Amen? Your view of God will affect your worship of God. The Bible tells us, remember our subject in which we're talking about, consider the person of God. We've talked about how that he's faithful, but yet he's also worthy. Your worship towards God is not just in the church house. Your worship towards God is, is every day, moment by moment of your life. And the Bible tells us that when you get a full glimpse and picture and reminder of the worthiness of God, of the glory of God, the Bible says that will affect your very behavior and how you then respond to Him, and how you then worship Him, and how you then live for Him. Uh, I just had somebody tell me uh, this week, and talking and sharing with them what the Great Commission is. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. And God tells us it's a command. Whatsoever I have commanded you, go and teach others. Uh, why? It, the command is not just given, oh, do what I'm tell telling you to do. God says, I've given you the command because, uh, hey, first of all, it's a privilege. <laughs> Secondly, because that's why you've been left on this earth, to tell others about Christ. As I was sharing this with this person this week, they said, you know, uh, the, commands, uh, the command of God to do that, I'm not really one that likes to talk to people. I'm actually a, a, a very, very good at what I do, and so that, that's kind of more what I'm uh, focused on, and, and uh, you know, some other people can, can follow by God's command. And I said, you know, I'm just, let's revisit this verse. Let me remind you, God says, it's a command. Uh, we are to do what God has commanded us to do. Why do we do it? Because we are not worthy. 
Why do we do it? Because God deserves all the honor and glory. Why do we do it? So that others can come to know about who Christ is. It's not left as an option. Uh, they then responded. They said, so what? I should just simply obey. Yes, I said. You hit the nail on the head. Obey. That's all Christ is asking us to do in our Christian life. As we worship him, uh, uh, we are obeying in our desire to, to step forward and, 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 uh, and worship him. We're obeying by doing what he's commanded for us to do. And everything we're commanded to do, it's not because God's trying to lord over us. It's because he's trying to bring others to him. Amen? That he would use us is a privilege. That we being so unworthy could be used by the God who is worthy. Amen? So we understand his faithfulness. Then we see his worthiness. Notice verse 5. The Bible tells us of his servanthood. Of his servanthood. In verse 5, the word of God says, And Moses verily was faithful in all his house. How, what, and what kind of faithful individual? As a servant. Somebody who is lower than the, the ones uh, who are higher. <laughs> someone who is lower than the low. Uh, someone who is putting others' desires before himself. The Bible tells us that Moses was faithful. He was as a servant. And we see God himself was that way, as I already referenced to you in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Bible says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And we see the example given once again. Why are we left upon this earth? What is God trying to bring us to? We're consider, we consider his person. He's faithful. He's worthy. And he was a servant to us. He lowered himself. He was beaten upon a cross. He was bruised for all mankind. His beard was ripped out of his face. A crown of thorns was nailed on his head, uh, hammered on his head. The Bible tells us that nails went through his hands, nails went through his feet. The, the thrust of the cross going down into that hole and the pain and the anguish and the, and, and the mockery that was given to God. Why did God do that? He did it when he lowered himself so low as a serpent. We understand and we see that God is trying to help us to get a glimpse of what servanthood is also. May I remind you what Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet? He washed the feet, the feet of the very disciple to whom he knew would betray him that very same day. He washed the feet of Judas. You know how hard it is for the Christian to wash the feet of the very people we know that are going to stab us in the back? It's pretty hard. How hard it is to lower ourselves. Yeah, we know that our, whatever we do, they're not going to respond right. We know that no matter what, how hard you try, they're going to give us some. They're going to give you some kind of smart remark, or they're not going to. Uh, it's not going to go over well. But that didn't stop Christ from lowering Himself, and so it shouldn't stop us. The Bible tells us that we would bring ourselves as low as Christ did to be a servant to others. You say, well, that's not the application that's, that we're seeing directly in the passage. Let me tell you, all the Word of God is applicable. Amen. There is no passage of Scripture that we cannot apply to ourselves. And any time you see a reference to Christ, what better application can you make than to the very way that God lived his life? Amen? The Bible tells us that he was faithful. He is worthy. He, it, we see his servanthood. And then we see his testimony in continuing of verse 5. Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. Why? For a testimony of those things to be spoken of. And so we see the faithfulness and servanthood of Moses was a witness to all. And so we see also the faithfulness and servanthood of God was a witness to all. Matthew uh, 20 and verse 28, as I just read to you, he came to minister. Uh, uh, he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister unto us. And so 
our purpose should be the same, that others would be drawn to Christ through our lives, to be a witness, to be a witness. Our testimony, we lower ourselves, we testify of Christ so that others can come to know Christ. Not so that others can applaud us and say, look at all the people that I led to Christ. No, so that others can at the end fall down on their knees and say, wow, we do serve a worthy God. Wow, my God truly is faithful. Wow, my God did lower himself as low as a servant. Wow, my God, look at his testimony and the way he lived his life. I desire to live that life also. God says we can learn from this passage that we are to be a witness to others of God. Let me remind you again, God has commanded us. He's not left it as an option. We have, our, uh, we have organized outreach and visitation program here at Community Bible Church, but it doesn't start and stop there. You may not be able to make it for those times and events, but you should be going out to all the world and preaching the gospel. You should be teaching others also, the Bible tells us. We're not just bringing them to church. There's a, there's a missed uh, thinking sometimes among Christians that as we go out door knocking or as we uh, witness to others, we're inviting them to church and we mention nothing of the good news of Jesus Christ. And sometimes Christians get this thinking, well, if I get them in the church, then they might get saved. That's, that, let me tell you, nowhere in the Word of God does that tell us that's the approach we're to have as a Christian. Amen? As Christians, we have been given the command. You and I, individually, have been given the command. You don't, we don't leave it to the pastor. We don't leave it to the evangelist. We don't leave it to the missionary to do all the witnessing. The Bible tells us, go into all the world. That's for everyone. That's to everyone. There are people that you can reach that I cannot reach. There are people that, uh, that the people sitting next to you can reach that you could never reach. And all the, all the way around, the Bible tells us, as Christ has laid towards us his faithfulness, his worthiness, his servanthood, and, and his testimony, so we should see within our lives why others need him, why others need Christ. And so consider the person of God. Number two, consider your relationship with God. Consider your relationship with God. As, we, as I remind you again, chapter 2, all the way up through the portion of chapter 3, we see the very person of God and his salvation. And now the subject is, is being changed to that extent of uh, bringing it back to us more directly, giving us more imperative statements in that sense. Look at verse 6. The Bible tells us, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence, the Bible tells us, and um, in continuing, and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the days of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Consider your relationship with God. Every Christian, the Bible tells us, as we see in verse 6, has been given a part in the house of God. Notice that reference again. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? Praise the Lord for that. We're, we're a part of the family of God. Bring you back to that very first verse as we read. The Bible says we are partakers of the heavenly calling. We are one with Christ, John 15. The Bible tells us he is the vine, we are the branches. So we understand that there are some things given in preceding of verse 6 uh, uh, that we are to be, um, that will be true 
if we are part of the house of God. In other words, if you're a Christian, these things will be true in your life. If you're a Christian, these things, as are given in verse 6 and following, will be true in your life. The Bible tells us, first of all, concerning your speech, there will be, number one, boldness in your speech. There will be boldness in your speech. The Bible says, whose house are we, verse 6, if we hold fast the confidence. That word confidence is, is speaking in reference. If you study the original language, it's, it's actually using the reference to our language our voice, our speaking. And the Bible says, if we hold fast the confidence, so we see that confidence is uh, as it very sounds. You're doing something boldly, without restraint, without hesitation. God says, we're to hold fast, speak forward boldly. What are we to speak boldly of? God's faithfulness, God's worthiness, uh, God's servanthood, God's testimony. All that God is and has been, the Bible says we are not to hesitate to speak of Christ. Boldness in speech, the Bible tells us boasting in speech. He says hold fast the confidence, okay? Speak uh, uh, without restraint. Speak boldly of what you know to be true about Christ. Hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. That rejoicing of the hope is not just speaking of a, of a small praise, but it's, it's, it's such a boastful praise. Praise the Lord for who He is. Thank the Lord for His faithfulness, for His worthiness, for His servanthood, for His testimony, for all that God is. The Bible says that we are to be bold in our speech of what we know to be true. The confidence, the Bible says, the confidence we have in God, be bold about those things and boast, uh, rejoice, that is, in all that God has been in your life and how long, to what extent, the Bible says at the end of verse 6, don't miss those key three words, the Bible says, unto the end. So your boldness and your boasting within your speech, in other words, your witness for Jesus Christ uh, in holding fast to the confidence and the rejoicing, how long should that continue to the very end of your life? As long as you live, as long as you're upon this earth. We've been studying in Sunday night uh, uh, until the day of the Lord, comes the day of the lord is at hand that we would uh boast that we would boldly speak for christ so we see uh the first of those things that will be true if we're a part of the house of god our speech will be so affected all the way down to we'll be bold to where we will be boastful number two our faith will be faithful verse seven gives us now reference to uh psalm 95 verses 8 through 11 if you wanted to go back and read that you could um but um uh, for sake of time we won't look at those things tonight but um the bible tells us in verse 7 uh that in reference to the children of israel wherefore as the holy ghost saith today if ye will hear his voice notice harden not your hearts this is what the children of israel had done uh, the reference is made to that wilderness remember those 40 years within the wilderness uh, god caused joshua and caleb uh, to, as they died wandering in the wilderness and their uh, uh, discontentment, their hardening within their heart, they're um, uh, provoking, the Bible tells us, God to anger. And notice the Bible tells us that it uses the words, the day as in the provocation, uh, they provoked, that's what that word is speaking of, they provoked 
God to anger uh, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. And so he speaks of their fathers he's referencing to. Notice the parentheses even in the English language as were given to us because uh, it's, it's speaking of that reference to. Uh, we're referring now to the past uh, where we've just been talking about God and all that he is and his very person and then considering our relationship with God. He now takes a small detour. He brings us back to and remember the mistakes that our forefathers made. They were unfaithful. What's the opposite of being unfaithful is being faithful. God says as a Christian individual, don't harden your heart. You see, what, what is it they harden their heart to? To unbelief, the Bible tells us. They didn't believe in what God could do. You can go back and read Numbers chapter 14 where it speaks of that wandering in the wilderness and the children of Israel. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible tells us, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. And God says, have faith in God. Believe what God can do. If you are truly a part of the house of God, the Bible tells us your speech will be affected, but your faith and trust in God, not talking about salvation, trusting God. We're talking about a daily believing and leaning upon Christ. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trusting in the Lord with all our heart, not leaning on our understanding. The Bible says not having the heart of unbelief, not leaning on our own understanding. Be faithful to God. So we see that reference to Numbers chapter 14 and the complete, uh, almost verbatim reference to Psalm 95, verses 8 through 11 and uh, uh, in the Old Testament scripture. And so God tells us our speech will be affected. Our faithfulness to God uh, or, or our, our trust in God's faithfulness to us, we, we're going to be um, trusting in him. And um, then we see verse 13, your example your example. The Bible says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward. As long as you know it to be day, okay? Exhort one another daily. Why? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Once again, let's not forget the reference that was just made from verse number uh, 7 down through 11 of Hebrews chapter 13. He's just referred to the mistakes of the lack of faithfulness of the children of Israel. And God says, you as a Christian, by the way you live your life, your example to others, it should be seen by how you live that you are encouraging, <laughs> that you are strengthening, that you are comforting, or the word is given, that you are exhorting one another whenever you feel like it. Is that what it says? No, we're exhorting one another daily, every day of our life. If you're a child of God, you're a part of the house of God, how many of you know that you're a Christian here tonight? No, no hesitation there, amen? Uh, the Bible tells us we are partakers of the heavenly calling. We're part of the house of God. We're a child of God. The Bible says your example to others should be that of exhorting, encouraging, strengthening, comforting. Do you encourage others in Christ? Or do you have a hardened heart to even live for God? So this was a problem of the children of Israel, as we see in Numbers chapter 14. There was a complete opposite in their example. They didn't leave the good example. The writer says, don't follow that. Uh, let your example be one of encouraging, strengthening, comforting. He tells us that the time of giving is daily. He tells us the urgency of giving while it is called today. Don't hesitate to it. As long as you know that the day, the sun is still coming up each day. As long as it call, is called today, go out. 
encourage, strengthen. And what better way, may I say, to encourage and strengthen and comfort others than to share what Jesus Christ has done for you. Amen? The, the misconception and the, uh, the, uh, the lack of emphasis in many ministries today, unfortunately, churches all across the world, is their lack of emphasis upon the gospel. Uh, where, yes, it's great. Let's do you know, shoeboxes in Christmas and send them out. Let's, let's have community outreach programs where we're reaching out to the homeless, where we're reaching out uh, to, the, to the sex offenders, where we're reaching out to the jails ministry and, and all these ones. Those are great things. But if you just simply do good works and we're missing the gospel, we've missed the point. Amen? God is trying to bring us to here. We're not just exhorting and stopping at the exhorting. The exhorting comes out of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? So as we understand the person of God, we then can understand our relationship with God. That our, in the way that we live our life will be so effective all the way down to our example. And it's it's the time is to be given daily. The urgency as well is called today. And the reason for it, notice verse 13 at the end of the verse. The Bible says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is the reason for giving. Because sin is deceptive. Something that is deceptive is something that takes a little bit of truth and causes it to look like it's complete truth. We've been deceived into it. The Bible tells us that sin is deceptive. Don't let the deceptiveness of sin cause your heart to be hardened from your purpose as a Christian and a child of God, a partaker of the heavenly calling, a, uh, a, 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 a one who is um, a companion of Christ, a part of the vine. We are the branch. He is the vine. We are that branch. It's not the vine that's separate from the branch. The Bible tells us we are one. Amen? There's a unity uh, uh, with the Savior. And we'll continue in verse 14 next week in our study together. Um, just kind of uh, give you the third point, and we'll digress upon it next week, uh, looking at our testimony, further uh, of our testimony of Christ. We've seen our example, but consider your testimony. We consider God's person, our relationship, and then how we live our life. Yes, we've seen uh, that the, the imperative statements that are given there is an example that you are to have towards Christ. There is a speech that you are to have towards Christ. You are to be trusting God by faith, but the Bible says consider your actual testimony. And the Bible places that emphasis in verse 14. I'll just read this to you. The Bible says, for we are made, notice he tells us once again, partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast until the end. And so now we see him speaking of that perseverance, continue. Stay steadfast, unmovable in what you know to be right about Christ. In your testimony of Christ, continue within it. Don't stop. Let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober, the Bible tells us. Let us get serious about loving for Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply these things to our hearts. We understand that uh, you have given to us uh, the greatest example. Lord, we understand that you have uh, given to us a uh, great commission. We're not left upon this earth for any other purpose than to draw others to you and to a greater knowledge of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be mindful, to consider these things, um, to take more earnest heed, as your word tells us. Give more attention to you, lest they slip from our minds. Lord, we ask uh, now that you bless our prayer time. 
May it be a time of prayer that's uh, not about anything more than you. May our relationship with you and our, uh, and our prayer before you be one of lifting your name and giving all praise and, and glory and honor to you. So Lord, we ask